from one knee-shaky spot to another. (laughs) For those of you paying musical attention, yes, that was the same meditation my sister sang last week. I blame sister stuff. (laughs) So here we stand, deep in summer. Most days, summer's excess of heat. The day I wrote this, it was hot. Summer's agricultural bounty, summer's pests, and for those of us with children, an excess of time. I've struggled this summer to stifle my own impulse to manage my children's time excessively. I've attempted to keep their field clear for big chunks of time while acknowledging that this endangers my own plans for work. I've downsized my own self-employed goals and domestic standards for the summer so that I might spend more time with them, have fun with them, be with them, experience them because there is a part of me that is fearful about the time that is coming for them. We are entering middle school next year. And yes, I say we because I see it as a shift in all of our experience, individually and as a family. Admittedly, I see this upcoming event as a shift because of my own experience in middle school, well, junior high school then. These were the years where I most clearly remember beginning to experiment with how I expressed myself explicitly to get different reactions from other people. It sounds so manipulative when I say it that way, and I guess it was, but I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only one. Okay, I'm more than pretty sure. I know I wasn't the only one because we talked about it, didn't we? Groups of girls talked about what to do, how to behave, who to be in order to get the desired outcome, whatever that was on that day. I remember needing to fit in to do it right, to not stand out in any way that would draw negative attention. I remember wanting to be just like whoever the it girl was that week. I remember the times the it girl attended to me. I remember how glorious that felt, being seen, even if the person she was seeing was not exactly... Well, me, because of the choices I'd made to get her attention, to be right, to be okay, to fit in. As my kids approach this time, I find myself thinking about what author and life coach Martha Beck calls our essential selves and the struggle we put our essential selves through. It seems to me that little kids totally get the essential self. There is no other self. They are simply themselves until consequences become apparent. But even with the usual learning about good manners and how not to upset their parents, kids keep being themselves, expanding, exploring, trying things on. It's this experimentation through creativity and imagination that I am perhaps somewhat desperately trying to encourage through providing huge swaths of free time to my children. And yet, despite my best efforts, 
I know there's a shift coming. I've seen the signs. This developmental thing is going to happen. I'm just not sure when. I'm not sure if the desperation to fit in that typically begins in early adolescence is the gateway or merely a glimpse of what may be to come, or if it is avoidable altogether. It seems to me that for many of us at some point there is a shift, and that expansion, that unconscious dedication to being and discovering who we really are naturally reverses, and we begin to contract. Our practicality demands that the exploration and freedom we were allowed as children be curtailed. Our responsibilities make us believe that the vestiges of childhood must cease, must be cut off, no longer suit or show us at our best. Regardless of our beliefs, we take Paul's urging to the Corinthians far too much to heart. As he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. And so we slowly cut away at ourselves. We separate ourselves into tiny pieces, only a few of which get regular airtime in the world. The rest are left to suffocate or starve. They're deemed inappropriate, unpopular, not good enough, wasteful, fanciful, and that death knell for dreams, impractical. We tie pieces of who we are up in little boxes, little cages, some of us, and turn out the lights. And then we wonder why we feel bad. We wonder why we feel dissatisfied. We wonder why we don't enjoy the lives we're building or why we can't seem to make any headway. We wonder when everything got so hard. We feel bad. And more often than not, we locate the explanation for that bad feeling outside of ourselves. It's the job. It's the spouse. It's the fill in the blank with anything that has anything to do with the federal government right now. Because <laughs> there are a lot of things to be dissatisfied with out there. And they may all be legitimate complaints, but that's not what makes the bad feeling that I'm talking about. I'm talking about those moments when we're sure we will never really feel great. I'm talking about that lingering dissatisfaction when we get something we thought we wanted and it still doesn't feel all that good. I'm talking about being alone in a crowded room. Many of us feel bad because we just aren't being ourselves. At some point, in all of that growing and goal-setting and achieving, we participate in what I think of as the great forgetting. The great forgetting happens when we approach adulthood and use the river of necessity and responsibility to wash away our understanding of who we really are. Before we get anywhere near the end of our lives and what would be the descent into Hades for the ancient Greeks, we bathe in their river Lethe, the river of forgetfulness, 
and let our passion, creativity, and so much of what makes us special drift away. We feel bad because we've forgotten that we are the only ones on the planet who are exactly like us. We feel bad because we've been so busy trying to fit in or succeed that we forgot to be ourselves. We feel bad because we've lost sight of the fact that when we're not ourselves, nobody fills that gap. We feel bad because we are in a constant battle with those parts of ourselves that we've deemed unacceptable. We fight them. We say mean things to them. I do. We close them in little mental closets and we don't let them out. We bury them in obligations, alcohol, shopping, snacks. We feel bad because we're not whole and we've allowed ourselves to believe that we are wrong, tainted, anything but glorious, anything but real and intentional and made for this world. We feel bad because we've forgotten how to play, how to feel, and how to rest deeply. We feel bad because we believe we don't deserve to feel as good as it could feel to allow ourselves to be all that we are. We're afraid of what would happen if we let that out. We're afraid of succeeding. We're afraid of losing love, affection, status. We feel bad because we define pieces of who we are as broken, and then spend a lifetime keeping them from acting up, misbehaving, letting themselves be seen, heard, experienced. Fine. So what do we do? Just let the ridiculous bits of ourselves take over? What will happen then? Will the world simply be chaos? Cats and dogs living together? Mass hysteria? Maybe we believe that. Because don't we see people doing this, letting the worst parts of themselves play front and center, and don't we revile them? Don't we all need to exercise some more self-control? We see hedonism, we see greed, we see failure as the inevitable outcome of honoring our whole selves simply because we see those qualities at work in the world. But friends, I don't believe that. I don't believe that you're broken. I don't believe you need to be chained up. I've used dramatic terms for that for the duration of these remarks this morning, but let me paint a more clear picture of what chaining yourself looks like. Being chained means editing yourself constantly. Being chained up means never making your needs known. Being chained up means never presenting your not best self. Being chained up means revisiting conversations, encounters, heck, even entire evenings or weeks to be sure you said the right things, did the right things, responded appropriately, reviewing those reactions, interactions, checking to be sure you didn't offend, stir the pot, upset the apple cart. Being chained up takes a lot of thought. Being chained up is exhausting. The alternative is not just letting it all hang loose, a phrase that the uptight part of me confesses to finding unappealing in so many ways. 
The alternative, friends, is a radical acceptance of who we actually are. The alternative to secreting away parts of ourselves is seeing those parts, acknowledging all of ourselves, every feeling, every desire, every joy, every failure, every misstep and supposedly flawed fragment, seeing all of it and accepting it. I want to invite you to practice what some of that acceptance might feel like. I want to invite you to try on the thoughts that go along with radical self-acceptance. Please close your eyes if you're comfortable and repeat after me. I see you, frivolity. And I accept you. I even miss you sometimes. I see you greed. And I accept you. I even wonder what you're hungry for sometimes. I see you bad temper. And I accept you. And I know you must be afraid. I see you inconceivably big dreams. And I accept you. I try to remember that you can be fun. Even if I never do anything about you at all. I see you heartache. I see you goofiness. I see you boundless curiosity. I see you vulnerability. I see you openness. I see you exuberance. I see you adventurer. I see you, homebody. I see you. I accept you. Now, take a deep breath in and breathe out every argument you have for why the worst parts of you are really far worse than anyone else's. Take a moment to see and accept that part you've locked up, or at least... Take a look at it and acknowledge that you have the key. Return your gaze and your presence to this moment. My friends, we could choose to see the whole and embrace it with the kind of compassion we show a friend, an imperfect human planet mate. And we could learn to trust that all that we are is good enough. We could learn to see that it is our wholeness, including the parts we've maybe been ashamed of or afraid of that make us human and capable of empathy, compassion, growth, yes, even love. So what do I tell my twins as I see this time coming, this time of smallness, this time of narrowing, this time of contraction,
And what do I tell myself about middle school? First, I tell myself that their experience may be different than mine, even if everything I know about adolescence says otherwise. Because it's important to leave room for a better experience. Then I remind my kids that they are miraculous. Because my children were IVF babies, I've told them they were miracles pretty much every day of their lives. Truth is, though, that I would feel that way no matter how they were conceived. I also remind them that they're unlike anyone else. And trying to be like everyone else will just make them extremely unhappy and will deprive everyone else of them. And then I take a deep breath, and I tell myself the same thing. I'm a miracle. There's nobody else like me. When I try to make myself like everyone else, we all lose out. It's okay to continue to grow. Those parts of me that I've hidden from the world, they're good parts. Being whole is how I claim my place, my moment, and my real fun in this world. Being whole is grace, compassion, and wealth beyond measure. I'm doing more of it than I ever have, this this being whole business. But I still need to be reminded, and maybe you do too. Maybe it seems scary, and it can be. And maybe people won't like it. And that can happen. But I want to reassure you, as someone who's touched the other side, being your whole self is an act of courage for which you will be rewarded deeply with resilience, joy, and fullness every single moment that you come even close to pulling it off.